This podcast is offered through the Sacred Community Project, an inner spiritual collective working to lower the barriers of access to contemplative and devotional practices. Through the universal teachings of love, service, remembrance, and truth, SCP utilizes modern technology to promote eternal values. Learn more at sacredcommunityproject.org. Welcome back, everybody. This is Hari with the Sacred Community Podcast, uh, and this will be part two of my interview with Sita Ramdas. If you didn't have a chance to listen to part one, you can always feel free to go and start there, or if you'd like to just uh, start here, we're going to be jumping right in uh, discussing uh, the Bhakti path and looking at that tradition um, versus some other traditions. I hope that you enjoy this uh, interview, and you can find Sita Ram Das's works, um, the From and For book From and For God, and exploring the Hanuman Chalisa audiobook, um, both on the Sacred Community Project website, and you can find uh, his website at sitaramdas.com. I hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next time. You've talked a little bit about the Bhakti path. Would you share with us about how that compares with other traditions and paths? Yeah. Well, so, you know, how it looks to other paths, I mean, I can only really compare it that way on the surface because, you know, I really only have an internal, like deep internal understanding of this one. But um, yeah, I do have some things to say about that. This is something that has been on my mind a lot lately. So one thing is, right, there's this teaching subak, right? Maharaji would say that all the time, all one. And um, he's, he even said at various times that all religions are essentially the same. And that actually goes to the heart, actually, of the Sanatana Dharma. There's teaching going back to the Vedas that says the truth is one, the sages call it by many names. And many of the saints say that, that, Mm-hmm. that all paths are going to the same source, right? And we have these analogies like different paths up the mountain or I prefer different wisdom streams going towards the ocean. Mm. Well, it's a little less effort. Yeah, I, I just, I, I prefer that one because one, it takes off this kind of hierarchical understanding, but two, mm-hmm. because it's very clear that, um, right, even though it's a path, you're on a stream, but it's still water and you're just going Mm -hmm. to a deeper, more expansive water. Mm. Um, So I like that analogy. So, but what I think happens for many of us is that when we say that all paths are one, what we're doing usually is we're taking our particular lens and we're taking our particular worldview um, and a lot of our biases and assumptions about reality, most of we've never looked at. And a lot of these we've kind of inherited through our culture. And we take these and we superimpose them on all the different paths we see. So it's kind of like we're looking at all of them in a certain green tinted glass. And the way that we're seeing all of them as being one is that we see that they all have this tint of green to them without really understanding that that's actually just our own worldview that we're bringing to every single path we see. So when we say that all paths are one, it's because when we really drink deeply from a path, 
we get access to that ineffable presence that's beyond the mind, it's beyond our assumptions of reality, it's beyond our biases, um, it's beyond our kind of conceptual frameworks or maps. And that ineffable presence, once we touch that, it just became so clear to all of us, even with the tiniest taste, that, that that's that universal quality, that that's what brings them all together. Um, but the second that we start talking about that ineffable presence, even with the slimmest words, we're already imposing a certain worldview on it. And so it's really important at that level to see that um, even though all paths are one, they are different paths and they work differently and that maybe you need a different map to more accurately go down a path. And so the bhakti path, the path of devotion, it does function very differently than say, a Buddhist path, right? A path of, you know, meditation or self-inquiry, for instance, right? And self-inquiry, yeah. you know, we're we're really kind of constantly going back and we're inspecting the depth of our being and um, we're kind of finding, you know, what's what's the essence, right? This kind of not this, not this, neti neti process or Raja Yoga, the path of meditation. You know, we're just meditating. We're bringing our mind to one point. We're bringing our mind to our sensations, all these just different experiences and just seeing the impermanence of everything. Um, Those kind of paths often, I think, are easier for us to understand in our Western kind of secular worldview um, because of the fact that mindfulness has kind of made its way into our culture. And, you know, mindfulness is amazing. It's a great practice. But um, I, I think that we can we it's easier for us to kind of grok these different paths because we can at least understand how meditation for instance could lower our stress levels um we might not coming into it understand that really it's about understanding the impermanence of reality and interdependent interdependence and things like that but we can at least understand how those practices function in a way that makes sense to our kind of secular mindset it's often really hard for us to understand you know, why you would pray to God, right? Right. Why you would like pray to some concept in your mind um, that might or might not be real. And so, well, and what is prayer too? You know, that's like a huge, there's a huge discrepancy of, or there's a big spectrum there too of like what that means and what that relationship is. Absolutely. So, and, and I also think that a lot of us, because a lot of us, you know, we get on the spiritual path often either because life just isn't working and we just have to try something new or because we caught some glimpse of something, some kind of unitary, you know, consciousness. And so often it feels like, I mean, I've heard a lot of like Zen or Buddhist teachers say this, you know, that even actually people in our satsang, you know, in our bhakti path, there's this idea that um, that we practice devotion to build this relationship with the divine with the idea that eventually um, we won't need that relationship anymore. Um, and what I've been finding is that that's actually because we don't understand what relationship really means. Mm. Um, and it's because we actually think that we relate to things now. For instance, you know, I have friends, I have my partner, I have all these 
you know, people in my life and things I relate to. But because this sense of individualism is so deeply rooted in us, um, it's hard for us to see that we actually don't relate to things as much as we think we do. What we really do most of the time is we just relate to our own projections and our own mind and our own desire systems. Um, and when that gets stripped away, what's left is actually just relationship. Relationship is actually that non-dual consciousness. It is the truth of everything. Um, and that's why I keep, I say this, I've been saying this over and over again, you know, recently that bhav or the devotional mood is a non-dual state and it's because relationship is the truth of everything and so when we start to get in glimpses of that then we can start to see that um, the bhakti path is really centered on relationship it is the crux of it and so what we're doing is we're just strengthening that relationship and by doing that um, we're decreasing over time our sense of separate self um and we're increasing this relationship through devotion or love. Um, and so the only thing that really gets let go of is our conception and our mind of God, you know, maybe. Um, but what we're doing by strengthening this relationship with the divine is um, eventually that's all that's left is just relationship itself, is just devotion. In the Narada Bhakti Sutras, it says that we don't practice devotion, we don't practice love to get something else. It is its own reward. It mm. is the pinnacle of the mountaintop, right? And that's why when I'm saying, you know, when we talk about the ineffable, as soon as we put it in words, what we're really talking about once we label it is we're talking about our own path. For a devotee, that pinnacle unitary consciousness is love. It is devotion. Um, and so that's what the bhakti path is. It's just falling in love over and over and over again in a more expanded heart and a deeper heart as many times as we can. Um, and there, there's stages to it. So at first, you know, we start to give, gain a taste. We gain a taste of devotion for the beloved. And then that starts to turn to detachment. And we just, we just start to want the beloved a little bit more than we want anything else. And over time, that attachment starts to turn into addiction. Um, and then, you know, what the, the texts say and what the sages say is that over time, that addiction just takes us over and it actually culminates in prem, um, parama prem, which is the ultimate love. It's when there's just, there's nothing else left in our being, but just love mm. of God. Um, and because God is everything, you know, that includes every single person we see, um, includes every other being on the planet. And so, of course, we want to treat them that way. And so for those of us that are still in the stage of sadhana bhakti, which realistically we all are, it's we're, we're performing bhakti as practice. You know, we're mm. developing a taste and we're developing attachment and we're getting glimpses of you know, what Prem feels like, you know, we get glimpses, but, um, you know, we still have like our stuff we're working through. And so we do it as practice. And so what we can do is that we can practice all of those things. We can practice falling in love with our puja table. And we can also practice falling in love with other people through kindness and through sitting and being present with other people and practicing loving awareness. And we're doing all these things with the idea that, because we've gained a taste and maybe even an attachment, maybe we're even going towards addiction that over time um, we're just going to get more of it. 
right? We're practicing love so that we can get more of it because we don't even actually care about the metaphysical reality anymore. It doesn't even matter what is at the top of the mountain. For us, we just only care about love and we don't know why. It's not a rational thing. One of the, the interesting things for, for coming down this path has been a redefining of, of what love is, which has then helped play into an understanding of what devotion is. And I think a lot of times we think of devotion as, as giving to something um, instead of the relationship of maybe like a mother to a child where the devotion is not, it's not, um, it's not a burden. It's a joy. Right. It's a joy of, of providing, of being in that relationship. Um, and you, you love and you want, you, you want to cultivate this thing. But, but with going down the, the, the bhakti path and with, how do you experience love now? What is that definition for you? And maybe how has that grown over time? Yeah. I, I like what you just said, cause I, I think it ties into my answer. Cause what I've been realizing over time is that love is not a feeling. Mm. Um, yep. Right. I mean, when it's confusing for us because of how quick the mind works, um, because when we come in contact with love, we often experience good feelings. And then because we're still very pleasure oriented, um, it, you know, and our mind needs some kind of form, um, and a pleasure is a form. And so it's, it's really easy to associate that good feeling with the love, but, um, that's more the response and, it's not always the response because um, when, when you're talking about a, you know, a mother being devoted, a mother's not experiencing joy every single moment. Um, and that's actually what makes the devotion so profound. And that's why more and more I'm, I'm really liking the word devotion because um, I think it kind of helps us see that it's not a feeling um, because when there's love there, you're devoted and then you act out of that devotion like like a parent would for a child, um, even when it's hard and even when you don't want to. And, you know, it's if, if you have people in your life that you love, um, you show up for them when they're having a hard time. Like these are the things that, that, that happen. And, and just like, you know, in, in a relationship, like a mother with a child, sometimes that mother's devotion is is an, as a practice because sometimes she probably doesn't want to do it. Sometimes like she, I mean, a lot of parents have moments of experiencing hating their kids, you yeah. know, like that's, that's real. And so, so in some moments, devotion is a practice. Well, and, and then, regret too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And in other moments, right. Devotion just flows naturally. And, and I think, most of us in our interpersonal relationships, we can start to see how, at least if we've matured in our relationships at all, we start to see how there is a relationship that that flowing naturally often happens because we've put the time in of making it a practice when it wasn't easy. Um, right. We didn't just run away and end the relationship. Hmm. Um, 
And so if that's true in a human relationship, then, you know, what to say of our relationship with God? Um, so, yeah, so some, sometimes it's a practice and, and then sometimes it flows naturally, but, but it's not a feeling. It's, it's just feelings can come out of it, but, mm. but feelings come and go. And that's how we know that it, that, that it's not that because this is the ground of being itself. This is actually always here every single moment, whether we remember it or not. That's, that's the element where it's just grace. Mm. And, um, and then, and we get all these different beautiful ways to relate to it. So when it's hard, um, sometimes it can feel like a struggle. Sometimes in my practice, it's like, I'm trying to just really fiercely force my mind to come to one point and it just you know it's so frustrating right that i that i can't do it and then and then something often happens and then sometimes it's then it's more of like a melting into it i'm still bringing my mind to one point but there's not really struggle there it's like i remembered that that god is here where could god go anyway and then i just it's more of a melting into it and then and then sometimes it, it's more just the realization that God is everywhere. And then it's just, you just feel the ground beneath your feet give way. And it's just the deepest letting go. And it's like almost terrifying. And it's like kind of too much and fierce, but what is there to do, but to just keep letting go anyway, because you realize there's, you have no control and it's, you're just swimming in God. And then for some, for somebody who hasn't had that experience before, can you walk through that like a little bit? I know that I had never, I mean, before, before going to RDs and maybe even until after I left, um, that was not, I, I did not know that truth. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't had it happen yet. I hadn't fully viscerally experienced it. Um, and and that changed my whole orientation, um, and it didn't it didn't uh, I didn't understand it, but it was enough. It was enough gas to get the vehicle like way uh, just you know just increase the motivation um, and be like you know I have doubts, but like let's let's go forward. So so like what yeah what is that experience like? Well, for you, I, uh, this is what I'll say. So if there's someone listening and if they don't know who, what I'm talking about, um, some people might not care and that's fine. Right. But it's my guess that there's probably some people listening where, um, they find themselves really interested, right? There's some pull of the heart and, um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what, that's what we're talking about. I mean, it's just, it's the willingness to just, to be able to trust our own heart and to just let go into that and to just go with it and to see what happens next. You know, I heard Ramdas say this once he said, um, well, if you don't have faith, 
but you want it, then you can ask for it. And mm. that's such, it's true. Mm. It's, it's 108% true. Um, <laughs> we should make that bumper sticker. <laughs> I, well, I just saw your, anyway. Um, it, and that's the, I mean, that, because that act of asking, I mean, that's the first step of faith. I mean, you're yeah. just, it's, it's, it's an asking of a possibility and, and, and making a prayer about it. Even if you don't know how to pray or what pray, praying means, or you don't even, you, most of you thinks it's silly or it doesn't make sense. Just yeah. that willingness to give it a try and to do it and to pour your sincerity into it. Um, that's enough. And we don't have to override our systems. We don't have to override our system of doubt. Doubt is a protective factor and um, it serves a really important purpose. And if we're doubting things, it, it's okay. You know, it, it's okay. It's there. But um, as it feels safe, like if it feels safe for us to give it a try to like ask for faith and then we take the next steps and we just, we just follow that um, and over time, things, you know, start to deepen. Um, you know, that experience that I described, it's, it's not, it's, it's not an, a necessary experience. It's just something that can happen on the path. And when it happens, it has a tendency, I think, to change us. You know, it changes me every single time. It just... Um, it just reteaches me that, that God is real and that, I mean, normally, you know, I mean, one of the ways that it often happens is when I'm singing, right? And so, mm. um, I mean, that's what's so interesting is that we're, what we're singing is the names of God. I mean, we're singing God's names and, um, and it's said that, that these names aren't actually separate from God. So, so when we're placing our attention on it, I mean, God is right there in front of us. And it's true that God's also everywhere, but these names have a special power because they're what shows us that. They're the doorway. And so, mm. so the name's in front of us and we're singing the name, right? We're at a kirtan or we're doing our own, own practice or we're doing internal mantra and we're doing it and it's a practice, but... And we're doing it, but, and we know that it's God's name, but, but we're not really, it's like we've forgotten that, that what it actually is, is the most priceless gem that ever existed. That like, that literally that God is right there in front of us, but we don't see that. I mean, we might think we see it or we're trying to see it, right? That's the part of practice. It's like a struggle. And so we just keep bringing our mind to one point on the name, like Maharaji said, you know, just keep keep on chanting your false roms. Eventually you'll get it right. Right. Mm. We just keep doing the practice, but then eventually the teachings say, and often we get glimpses of it that, um, by chanting the names that eventually we start to get glimpses of the fact of that, that, that God is actually right here in this moment, that this actually is the holiest moment, that it actually is, enough that um 
the control mechanism of our mind can be let go of and that the heart can just be open, that we don't have to manage our experience, that we can just let go and deeply allow and how that happens because that doesn't happen through the will. That's why we can't override our doubting mind. That just happens because through grace, we just see that it's actually safe and that mm. there's nothing else to do anyway um, and that we can be tense if we want and we can try and grab pleasure and push away pain and that we can do that, but that it doesn't actually make a difference and that we don't have to. And then for a moment, we just let go. And, um, and it's not a moralistic thing. It's not because we should or it's just because it's just because in that moment there's just a realization that there's nothing else. Um, you know, and then for me, you know, because I have an overactive mind. And so if that happens, you know, I mean, you know, how long is that really going to last for anyway? But what often happens is after, um, let's say I go back into um, yearning, right? Yearning for God, or maybe I go back into forgetting, um, mm. right? And all of this is in just the realm of doing practice of chanting the names, right? I mean, but I mean, we could just be scribing something in a, in a matter of a few moments, but we're back to yearning or forgetting. But what happens is that now the yearning and the forgetting have become a little bit sweeter. It's like, it's prasad. It's like, it's a gift from God itself. Um, because we just had an experience of seeing that it's all God's will, it's all God's Leela. And so now we're back in the dance of either yearning or forgetting. And um, it doesn't mean that it's not still painful or it's not still hard, but, but now it's just a little bit sweeter. Hmm. So I, I think with all of that, and, and it's interesting, I, I feel like the, you know, the, the benefits of spiritual practice are often not talked about. Um, it, like e even going back to what you were saying of like devotion and love is its own, is its own reward. Um, I feel like most of the, uh, the things that I hear about when, when furthering down, uh, and maybe this is just because we're a little neurotic. Is that like having having a quieter mind, having more peace, less self judgment, like being more caring, like more open. But um, kind of the the rewards of yeah, those like devotional spaces um, and planes, or those like ecstatic um, spaces. It's interesting. It's only really been since since reading the Narada Bhakti Sutra and thank you for um introducing me to Shamdas's work. Um yeah. that I feel like I I started getting that in a different, clearer way and and really it was on the tour. Um and we should we should talk about Kripa uh the band for for a little bit as well. But it was it was on the tour really when we were reading the Ras Lila to uh at night and I started feeling that same, that same love and 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 um, 
just like uh, immense connective energy where my body just feels full. I feel like fully relaxed and at attention kind of at the same time. Um, and I was like, holy cow, like this is a text. This isn't, this isn't just symbols. This isn't just a story either, but like it's, it's a, um, it's a, uh, it's like an encoded piece of information that is, helps you also get to get into a space of devotion and, and getting into a devotional space. And that was, I mean, call it silly. That was, that was the first time that I had really felt like in, in like a text like that, just, just that heart opening, like joy. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you were telling me something really beautiful and you know, let me know if, if you're comfortable sharing this or not, but just, um, cause I think it ties into this element that, you know, of love and devotion, not being a certain emotional state, but, but how it kind of changes all of the states. And you were talking about just your realizations about, um, you know, just experiencing depression and just how you relate to it differently when you channel it towards God. Um, could, I don't know. Could you, do you mean, you mean like the longing, the longing piece? Yeah. I mean, you, do you remember this when you were telling me about it? I mean, just, just you had been experiencing depression and you're sitting in front of your, your puja and realizing that, um, yeah, that like the longing, even though it was still painful and all these things, but, um, but just, yeah, I mean, I just, I want you, to, I want to hear you say it yeah. again in your words. Well, and, and stop me or, or push me if I'm not quite getting it on this one. Um, but yeah, going back to just kind of what I had said about myself and in, in my path and doubt and judgment, um, I would look around a lot and, or I mean, first I would look in myself because that's where I felt lack first. That's where I felt, um, not connected, not at peace, um, separate, uh, yearning for, for love. And, and I mean, in a way too, where I remember when I was in high school and, um, and depressed, although although it wasn't really recognized that way, of like being on a couch and like watching a movie and and two people kissing, and then curling up into a ball, um, just because there would be so much physical pain in my body, like my chest would seize up, like my my stomach would have that like tightness of like when you're gonna throw up. Um, and so moving forward, as I wrestled with my, um, with seeing doubt as a negative thing, um, within my spiritual path, and I would look around and see a lot of people who it seemed like weren't experiencing that or were very open. And that also made me sad and uncomfortable, um, just because, 
I knew that that wasn't what I was feeling. And then the question kind of came up of like, you know, because you got to go to judgment, like who's right, who's wrong kind of thing. Like, are you just way over the top and and not actually acting in truth, but out of desire and, and wanting something from a being or God um, or are like you in your own way kind of thing to experiencing to experiencing happiness and joy. And then once I started getting tastes of that feeling of connection to God, um, it, it, it just became longing is, is the word that I, I use for, for myself. And, um, it's interesting when we were talking about those meetings that we had with, with Ram Dass and, um, I was up there and kind of going through my whole spiel of questions. And then at some point it just started getting a lot more into the heart space. And I remember asking him, uh, if Maharaji was my guru and, and, and like, if there would be a time where like, I would know that God was real or, or would I know that presence? Um, and, he said yes, but the interesting thing was, he, I, I said I've just been, I've just been longing to to know this, and he just kind of sat back, and then he kind of looked at me and smiled, and he just goes, "I long that you have longing for a long, long time," mm. and it was funny. I, it, I was like, I was kind of like, what, like. I don't want to have longing for a long, long time. I feel like you missed the whole point of this question. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want this. <laughs> I want, I want the opposite of this. Um, but when I was able to start reframing my longing, um, about like I don't know, six months ago, to my longing is my devotion. Um, yeah my my um yeah my desire to be connected and and in that love space um is my my fuel and my fire yeah to 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 move me forward and when i was able to start reframing that my doubt was inadequacy and my longing and and questioning was me just not being adequate you know um to you know what like you really care and you feel really deeply and you've had some some moments of feeling really deeply that feel really true and Yeah, I and I don't know. Who knows where I don't I don't know where attachment comes up, but I know I know that I want that relationship. I know that I want I want it closer. And I know that it's what I want in my life and that yeah. my my green tinted lens is that I want to I want to know and experience God in my being 
in yeah. every moment. Um, and that uh, another shift is, has been um, taking pain and suffering as showing where there's where there's an opportunity for for love and not to defeat the pain or the suffering but a place where there can be more love and um my doubt and longing helps show me that and when i can approach it without judging i can move with my longing in a devotional manner yeah that's so beautiful and that's um that's why I think the devotional literature is so important for us because it helps us reframe. It helps us see that, that that longing is actually meant to be cherished and developed and furthered. That it's not an attachment to let go of. Um, right. I mean, the, the gopis, right. They're, they're dancing with Krishna, right. I mean, that, that truth, right. The, the truth of God, I mean, it's right there. And then Krishna disappears and the gopis lose their minds. I mean, they they start wandering through the forest. It's like they're on drugs. I mean, they're they're talking to like the insects and the plants, and they're just asking, like they're just looking for Krishna everywhere. They're mm. in this deranged state. Um, but this is what's interesting: is it wasn't that dance that freed them of their last impurities. It was the longing after that. That's mm. what cindered. The, the mm. gopis, they're, they're considered the gurus of devotion because they were already essentially enlightened beings. They, they, they had like the thinnest like veil of attachments left. And what cindered that attachment was the longing after they fully danced with Krishna. Mm. That is what mm. completely eradicated them and made it so that all that was left was that love. Mm. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. The other thing, I'll, I'll just say this quote, to paraphrase, but from Nandadas, um, who is another one of the poet saints that was brought to the West because of Shamdas. But this quote, he says, I know that longing is more beautiful than union because in union, actually he says separation. I'm going to reset. I know that separation is more beautiful than union because in union, I see God in one place and in mm. separation, God is everywhere. Mm. Mm. Yeah. More opportunities to love. Yeah. I was going back to to when you when you were talking about faith and um, you can ask for faith. And a theme that's come up for me a lot recently is um, humility. Mm. And I think that that kind of asking is a very humble ask. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty self-effacing of because um, you know you know what you're working with and any any version of god worth worth <laughs> worth their salt knows what you're working with um and to to come before that relationship and 
and basically say like, you know, like I don't have this, like I don't have this on my own. Like, yeah, I, I want, I want connection. I want it really bad. Um, please, please. Yeah. Um, and then you sit bowed and it's been really interesting child's pose, <laughs> which I mean, is, is, is a bow, right? And, and just the act of pranaming. Yeah. I have a lot of physical stuff in my body and a lot of, a lot of pain. And, um, it's so interesting when I, when I am drawn down into a position of bowing and pranaming in, in a way where I mean it, or even just being in that space, but really when I when I mean it, um, there is so much release within my body, and I, and I think so much about like surrender and clinging and holding on, and um, that I mean, going back to that night with Hanumandas, like and and ask maharaji for everything um there's so much that i know that i carry that i it's i'm not being asked to carry it i'm just carrying it you know what i mean and if i could if i can humble myself um i can unload a lot of that the stress a lot of the fear um because i i don't I don't need it to to get to God, um, but humility has has been really um, equating to freedom recently. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It, it makes me think of you know, kind of another doorway in too is, um, you know, sometimes when I'm singing. Right in my home practice or or whatever, um, it's like I don't even know like where to look for God or what to do, but I just want it so bad. It's just like crying out, and and my awareness isn't always able to pick it up. But that act of crying out, like that's actually the moment when when God is there. It, it it's within just the intensity of just full yearning. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. just fully just allowing the yearning out and not trying to control it in any way, but just just that allowance. And that's 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 the moment where the distance is collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um and it is. It's yeah, that humility is yeah. Yeah, I can't you know, I know that there's other paths where people don't people don't have to rely on God and um my hat is to them, but, but, but I need, I need God. Yeah. So sadly on the theme of longing, I, uh, I long that we could have this conversation just kind of forever and, but looking at the time and, and wanting to respect your time and knowing, uh, knowing you, you need to go in and, and help the world tomorrow. Um, I think now would be a great time to wrap up, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. And, for sharing your heart and, and all that you've learned and um 
yeah, it's it's truly an honor to to be able to speak with you and to to be able to call you my my friend. Absolutely, the feeling's mutual, and um, I mean, you just provided me the chance to yeah talk about God with uh, Guru Brother for the last you know I don't know almost two hours or hour and a half or whatever, and that's that's one of the fundamental spiritual practices on this bhakti path and so um because of you calling me and inviting me to talk um i got to do spiritual practice and so yeah i'm just feeling super grateful for you and for having me and yeah i just love you so much thank you so much and thank you to everybody who's listening and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode all right goodbye sidram bye